everyone, and welcome back to the Data Bytes podcast. I'm your host, Sadie St. Lawrence. Today, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast, Emily Kennedy. Emily is the co-founder and president of Marinus Analytics. Emily is also the podcast host of an amazing podcast called The Empower Podcast. Um, definitely recommend you check it out. And she's also a Forbes 30 under 30. Welcome, Emily. Excited to chat with you today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on your show. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and what inspired you to co-found a company and, and now, you know, become the president of the company? Well, it's quite the story, um, but kind of the essence of it was as a teenager, I learned about the problem of human trafficking. I learned that it existed in the world and I actually um, had encounters with uh, children begging on the street in Eastern Europe when I was traveling at the age of 16. Um, and then was told, you know, when asking what's going on with these children who are on the street, you know, what's their situation? Oh, they're trafficked by the mob to beg on the street and they have to give all of the money that they make to back to their traffickers. And so so just at a kind of a tender young age, I was struck with the magnitude of these world problems going on that I had no idea about before. So really carried the, the experiences with me in my heart for a number of years. Um, and then when it came to college, I was studying the humanities, ethics, history, and public policy at Carnegie Mellon. And I knew that I wanted to do my senior honors thesis on the topic of sex trafficking. And around that time, sex trafficking had moved online more uh, like in frequency, it had moved from the streets to online classified websites where people were being advertised for sex. And so I was really fascinated by this way that technology had kind of facilitated this exploitation to happen in a way that was way more convenient for traffickers, easier for traffickers to exploit others. And um, when I started interviewing detectives, human trafficking investigators, I learned that you know, their work was falling behind the curve. Because when you think about data, uh, if you love working with data and you're a data professional, more data is great, right? But if you're someone just trying to make sense of information, a fire hose of data is not helpful. And in fact, it can actually be harmful to your work. So what started as my senior honors thesis called Predictive Patterns of Sex Trafficking Online turned into a research project at a lab in the Robotics Institute where I worked for about two years after I graduated. And then in 2014, me and my co-founders started our company, Marinus Analytics, to bring uh, tools that we had in prototype stage to uh, use AI to assist in human trafficking investigations. We took those tools uh, to kind of the real world. We took them out of research, productize them, um, and our flagship tool is called Traffic Jam. So it's an AI suite of AI tools uh, for human trafficking investigations, and it's currently used by local, state, and federal law enforcement across the U.S., Canada, and the United Kingdom. Uh, saved an estimated 70,000 investigative hours in 2020 alone, and uh, has, has aided in the recovery of many, many victims of sex trafficking. So we're really proud of that work. And it has been, like I said, quite the journey being a humanities student, never thinking I would get into business or tech and kind of doing both of those. Yeah, well, you know, really just want to applaud you for the work you're doing in an area that's very much needed. Um, Thank you. And, you know, 
there's a lot of things in your story that I want to dive into. I mean, one is just the fact that you had this awareness and recognized the problem at at the age of 16, which is, you know, quite young. And the fact that like, you never lost sight of that problem, even when you were in, you know, your bachelor's and master's degree, how did you hold on to that? Because like, it can be really overwhelming at 16, you know, to encounter such a big problem. And I think a lot of us at times can feel like, well, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm young. And you like carried that with you and used it to create something, you know, what, was that a struggle or like, how, how did you do that? Well, I definitely did not have a plan. Um, and I had no idea, like, you know, so I'm a millennial who didn't grow up with apps, you know, the internet I grew up with was like, you click on a page and go away for five minutes and then you come back and hope it loaded. Like, so I grew up, grew up like along with these technological changes, which is super interesting. I think why did I like keep it for so long, um, was two things that, that stand out for me. One is that, my parents really, and particularly my dad raised me with this idea that if you're given privilege, your privilege is to help others. You know, I, I'm a Christian and it's like, my purpose on earth is to be of service to others, um, in any way I can, especially if I'm given like privilege and opportunities, which I absolutely was given. So, um, it was that, and definitely not like having a plan. Um, I remember in around junior high, around that time, I had a youth leader in my church named Clayton Butler, and he, um, was a couple, he was like a, you know, four years or so older than me. And I saw him after he graduated college, go work for an organization called Agape International Missions, where they work in the red light district of Cambodia, where there's a pretty active child sex slave trade there. And his organization worked to get the children out of those exploitative, horrible, horrific situations. And so that just gave me the idea that like, okay, fighting human trafficking can like be a job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like you could actually do spend all your time doing this. And it gave me that idea. And so in college, I honestly thought, oh, I'll probably go to law school, um, you know, and go into like international law. I interned at this great nonprofit called the Protection Project in Washington, D.C. during college. And they're based out of Johns Hopkins School of International Studies, which is like an epic. If you're looking for like an international policy degree, that's like an (laughs) epic school to go to. So I always thought, oh, you know, I'm good at reading and writing and speaking. So like law school, that's like what people like me do. And, and, you know, then I can use my degree to help people in this space. Um, but it was kind of, a lot of it was timing. So around the time that my student project, my thesis was getting traction and just felt like there was a lot of interesting things to research and discover when it came to sex trafficking online. Um, at the same time, I was like taking the LSAT, the law school admissions test and like gearing up to apply to law school. And I got to this point of just honestly feeling fear of like, okay, law school seems like the right decision, quote unquote, like, how could it be a bad decision? But I don't have a clear sense of when I come out with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans, what am I going to do with this degree? And how am I going to manage the financial burden on top of that? Mm -hmm. And the thing that I couldn't 
square in my mind was I'm probably going to work, want to work for dirt cheap for some nonprofit (laughs) and I'm not going to be able to survive. And I'm going to be drowning in these loans that I can't pay off. And I just couldn't, uh, square in my mind how that was going to work. And so it wasn't that I said, okay, I'm not going to law school ever, but it was more like, I'm going to defer this. My scores are good on LSAT for, you know, a couple of years, whatever it was. And I'm just gonna, you know, delay this for a year and kind of see what happens. And that was when I really got a lot of traction with what became the traffic jam project. And so that was a lot of timing. It wasn't me fully figuring it out, but it was, I guess, if I was to give advice to someone, you know, listening to what you find you're really excited about, which me, for me was that project. And then also listening to like what you feel is not right. You know, you might have people around you and thankfully I didn't have people putting any crazy expectations on me, but like you might have societal expectations or family expectations of in your brain. You're like, I know this is the right decision. Cause like, sure. Law school, that sounds like a smart adult thing to do, but in your heart, you're like, I don't know if this is right for me. And so to take such a big risk and a financial burden, I wanted to be more like settled in myself about, I know this is right for me. Um, and this is the way that I want to go. So it was kind of like a mix of timing and I guess, listening to my intuition. Yeah. So I love the I love how you acknowledge that listening to your intuition, because I think, you know, that's a, that was very insightful of you to know, like, Hey, I'm going to get all this student loans. Oh and then I'm gosh. probably going to work at, want to work at a nonprofit who probably can't pay back those student loans. So like, right. how do I work this out? Right. And, and I think a lot too came into like knowing yourself, right. Which was yes. like, Hey, I'm not just going to get a law degree. Like I want to do something impactful with that. And that work usually is for these types of companies. So yes you know, that intuition comes from knowing yourself too, which it sounds like you had a good understanding at that age. Totally. Yeah. I, I also love the fact that you mentioned the, you know, if you're given privilege, your life is in service. So at 17, I, my parents sent me to live in Kenya for a semester wow. and that was where kind of my whole, like, oh my goodness, I'm super privileged. And like, I need to do something to service with my life came from. Um, and so it's, I love to see those parallels of like how we pulled that into our stories today. Totally. Um, but at the same time, you know, you kind of have this understanding of like, Hey, I need to be of service. I know this is where my heart and calling is but you weren't studying computer science or data science or AI or analytics, right? You were studying humanities. And then to dive into this of like, okay, you've got a project that has some traction, but now, you know, running an AI company, like, tell me, like, how did you have the courage to be able to do that and jump into this whole kind of newer field where you mentioned even, Hey, I didn't grow up with tons of apps and I had to wait for dial up internet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So definitely was not studying computer science. Um, I would say I probably had more exposure to it than, than the average person just for the virtue of going to Carnegie Mellon. And the nice thing, and one of the things I like preach about all the time, um, with Carnegie Mellon is the interdisciplinary nature. And I think that is something you won't find at every school, like a school that would allow me as a humanity student to go like email a professor in robotics and policy and like pitch an idea 
and get traction and be able to like work across the different departments. Um, so that, like, if that was not there, the project would not have happened. And I think we're getting into an age where you really do need experts from all different disciplines, philosophy and history and, uh, policy and communication and tech. Um, it's not just tech is going to save the world on its own. Like you need a ton of different experts and ideas coming in. So I think, um, I hope that schools and like organizations recognize that more and more and just, you know, listeners, as you're building your own, um, like resume or repertoire of skills, knowing that like well-roundedness is actually really helpful in that case. Um, but yeah, so how did I have the audacity? I mean, I think I, de- I didn't view it that way. Um, in the beginning, just because it wasn't, it wasn't like a thing, you know? So I think it, uh, I guess some of how I I felt that I could pursue this project, one was the the passion for the subject. Um, like I really want to figure this out, and it's like this feeling because like finding your passion that's like sad a lot. But what does that mean for me? It was this feeling of I'm uncovering something really interesting here with could tech help solve this problem? And it's like unknown. And it's, it's that chase of like, is there a solution here? And that really was what, you know, would keep me up at night, keep me working Friday nights on it, you know, and just being really excited about the, the topic in the project. Um, I also, you know, I, I credit my dad a lot with how he raised me just in terms of like, not ever thinking that I was exempt from doing anything, despite the fact that I wasn't super like fantastic at math. Like I was probably fine, but not a prodigy or anything. And my dad still, when I was applying to colleges, he's like, you could go into, you know, engineering. If you wanted, you could go into biomedical engineering, you could go into this or that. And even when I myself was like, I don't know if I could do that. He's like, Oh, you absolutely have the ability. It's not about the ability. It's about your passion. And so that kind of helped me have this confidence of if I set my mind to it, I can do it. And that, that was actually something he taught me at a really young age. I remember distinctly being in our garage together and we were talking and it was around, I would say around maybe fifth or sixth grade. And it was around this time in school that I started to realize I could do well in school. And it's that point where you get a little bit aware of it whatever it is, it could be sports or school or drama, whatever. But it was, for me, it was like, oh, this is kind of like a part of my identity now. Like I can be good at school and that's how I get praise. And that's like part of my identity as a person, as a young student. Um, And I was getting, I think a little cocky about that. Like, oh, I, I can get all these good grades. And my dad sat me down and he was like, that's great. You know, you're smart, but you really need to work on your work ethic because there's other kids in your class who are not as smart as you. They don't get the concepts as easily, but because they put in the work, they are going to surpass you in the future if you don't learn how to put your head down and work. Um, And that was one of the best gifts I could have had because I saw plenty of friends have that kind of thing where, oh, this came easily and naturally to them and they could excel and win all the awards in a certain area, 
But then when they got challenged, whether that was in college or wherever, it kind of fell apart because they weren't used to having that work ethic, put my head down, not glamorous, you know, do the hard gritty work. And so I think that too was like when I got pulled into this project in, in college and I started meeting with research programmers and they were saying all these terms that were weighing over my head. Um, I felt like kind of excited about it. Like, oh my gosh, there's something this kind of scary, mm -hmm. but there's something here I need to pursue it. And I think because of how my dad kind of trained me as a younger kid, it was like, okay, this is the time to put my head down and learn and, and be humble and open to learning and not like let my ego get in the way. I mean, I don't think I had much of an ego in that way, but I think that can trip us up. Like, oh, I'm so ashamed that I don't know what an algorithm is that I'm not going to ask, or I'm not going to push forward. And just having the humility to be like, Hey, what does that mean? I mean, asking questions. I still, to this day, constantly in meetings, I'm like one of the heads of my company. And I'll be like, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? That's not a problem at all. Like just to ask questions, be curious. Um, so anyways, those are some things that come to mind when you talk about like, how did I, as a humanities student get here? Yeah. So many great lessons from that. I mean, I can definitely remember the, you know, kids growing up who were naturally gifted and, Unfortunately, they didn't have, I think, a dad to say, hey, just because you're naturally gifted doesn't mean you have to work hard. And that mm -hmm. work ethic is what's going to carry you through. And also just that humility with it, too, to like put yourself in a place that's uncomfortable because yeah. it's easy to find success and then just want to stay there because it's yes. a place of comfort. But the fact you know, it's encouraging to know you're a CEO of a company and still asking questions, still putting yourself in uncomfortable places mm -hmm. and still making sure that, you know, you're learning and growing on a daily basis. Totally. Totally. I mean, that's I, anyone who's listening, I would want to encourage you in that way. Like, don't be afraid to, to put yourself out there, ask questions, just simply say, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because if people who don't, you know, they either don't know what's going on or then they feel worse that they don't know what's going on. And it kind of breeds this like lack of confidence. And I think it asking questions for me almost gives me more confidence because then I really know what do I know and what I, what do I not know? And even the biggest CEO in, in any company you can think of doesn't know everything. So there's no shame in that. Definitely. So Human trafficking is not a light subject. Um, you know, on a, is there any points in it that you feel like, hey, this is such a big problem to solve? Are we making any progress in it? Or, you know, have there ever been any kind of points when you've really questioned yourself to be like, am I doing the right thing? Mm. Um, I would say no, <laughs> simply <laughs> because like, it's such a big problem that really anything you can do helps. Um, so yeah, that hasn't really crossed my mind, to be honest. Um, I think it's, uh, when you get into something mentally, like, and emotionally kind of tough like that, mm -hmm. I think my perspective is you can't expect to always see results. And that's, that's, uh, true in the sense of like, we work with FBI agents and we might give them a great lead and they can't, 
they're not authorized to tell us how it turned out, you know? And so that can be kind of tough, like not knowing, but that means that every success story that we hear, like every positive thing that happens, you know, every, I heard a, a story um, that happened uh, a couple of years ago where we assisted uh, with the takedown of this large, uh, really violent trafficker who had over 20 different victims and just a terrible person. And um, one of his uh, his victims, she's a now human trafficking survivor. She's in college and she's doing really well and she's like thriving. And so we really cling to those positive stories when we do get to hear them. But I think it kind of ties in with this mentality that we've had from the very beginning, which I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but it's something that's been core to like our company. And I think it's kind of like a CMU Carnegie Mellon culture thing and kind of like a Pittsburgh culture thing. Um, and definitely like a me culture, personal culture thing <laughs> that, um, especially in the human trafficking space or like any, um, space that's kind of buzzwordy, um, you often see a lot of people or organizations kind of putting the cart before the horse in terms of bragging about we're doing this, we're doing that when they haven't really done anything. So there's a lot of talk, but not a lot of action. Mm-hmm. We've always from the very beginning been like, you put your head down and work for two years and then you talk about it. Like you don't talk about it until you have something to talk about. You know, I mean, that seems so simple, but like, and I know, I know there are times, you know, I've learned more about marketing in the past five years. There are times when you want to like build hype or there's strategic ways that you can talk about something while still being honest about it. But we just, you know, we err very much on the other side, usually of like, we want to get great results or we want to have success. And then we'll talk about it. I mean, some of the success stories that I'm sharing, like a part as a part of this X prize competition, the IBM Watson global AI X prize competition that my company has been a part of, um, the, the success that people are seeing, the store success stories we get to share are from like literally years of work. Um, there are things that like, you know, it takes a year to get the lead and a year to, you know, uh, develop the case and a two years to get the trial finished and then another year to hear the success. I mean, it's just so much time. And so I think similarly to how I kept this passion for this topic for years before I did anything about it, just kept it inside myself, educated myself, um, Similarly, you have to hold on to putting your head down and doing the work often for many years before you see anything. So it's funny because now people, it, it's like that overnight success thing where people are like, oh my gosh, you're, you know, you're an overnight success. And it's like, no, we've literally, like, I personally have been working on this for 10 years now since I started my thesis. And that's like a lot of time. So you really want to care about the topic and it to be really interesting to you. And it's not to say 10 years will be the length of time for everyone for every topic, but just to put in perspective, I mean, these things definitely do not happen overnight. Yeah, we are definitely kindred spirits. Oh yeah. I love it. (laughs) Because I have so much the same philosophy, which is like, hey, let's let's talk about our results and our impact when we have that. But yes. until then, like, 
heads down and put the work in. I think, you know, I've learned more about marketing over the years as well. And there is more (laughs) importance to talk about it. So, you know, even in the meantime to help promote and get the right people. But I do feel like, you know, in our very social media driven culture, Mm -hmm. like there's a big push to continually be talking and sharing what you're doing. And sometimes it's okay to have what I kind of go like calling go dark, right. Where like, maybe I'm not as active on social media and that's because like, I got to put my head down and get the work done. Totally. And it's hard. I mean, to like be realistic, I think it's hard to by yourself be making a huge impact and talking about it as effectively as you can. I mean, they're like, it wasn't until we added people on our team who could focus more on like posting about what we're doing Mm -hmm. that it's like in one sense to like my impact progress focused brain. It's like the, the talking about it part doesn't even really matter, but then it does, you realize, like we mentioned before, it does matter when you want to like raise funding or build your reputation so you can get more opportunities. Um, but for us, it definitely is not like the first thing that you do. And you have to respect that, like multitasking is hard. And sometimes you personally, or your company may not have the bandwidth to be doing both at the same time. And that's totally okay. Yeah. And I think also too, just like knowing yourself as well. Right. So you seem to know that like, Hey, I love to get results and like marketing side of things, you know, for me, that's like talking, selling marketing, those are not my strengths. And that's like Mm -hmm. then a great opportunity to bring in those other team members who it is their strengths. hundred percent. So for people who maybe in their career, I'm guessing, you know, just by listening to your story, they may be like, man, I lost kind of track. Like I had this amazing experience when I was younger or had kind of this dream of like my life purpose and I've lost it. Like maybe they're buried in student loans and, you know, had to take that corporate job that they potentially didn't want. What advice do you have for people to get back to like that core, that passion, that purpose so that they can really thrive? Mm, Such a good question. And I've had conversations with friends and family about this topic. Um, First of all, it's never too late. You may think, oh, I'm too old, whatever. You still have the rest of your life, whatever that is. And that is valuable time. That is worth spending it on things that really mean a lot to you. Um, I'd caveat it with, it doesn't have to be, and I have been guilty of sucking myself into this black hole as well. Um, it doesn't mean that your purpose has to be found through your job necessarily. Um, I think it's, it's lovely if you can, you know, work on something that you enjoy because we, most of us spend a lot of time on our work, but some people like to find their passion and their like life's purpose in their work. And other people like that's more me. My husband is like, you know, I want to enjoy my job, but I also want to leave it at work. And I want to like have brain space for other things. So I would mention that too. It doesn't have to be a career change necessarily, but I would just take some time. This is a really hard thing to do is we feel the pressure of discomfort or we're not in the right place. Like, you know, that feeling when you're just like, I know this isn't where I'm supposed to be for whatever reason. Um, but I think the mistake that too often people make is they don't take time to actually figure out what, what the right path for them is. So I would say 
do what you can to given, you know, everyone has different schedules and responsibilities, but take a day off or take like a weekend, obviously like a week, if you can good for you, but whatever time you can take off to like cut out the noise, cut out the social media, cut out the people's input. Um, and even just like write out on a piece of paper. Um, my husband encouraged me to do this a couple years ago. And he, uh, one fun thing was he said, use like, um, a marker that's like more free flowing to write like a fun marker or like one of those markers that's more like a paintbrush to write different things out. Um, things that bring you joy it doesn't have to be work. It could be, it could be like learning a new skill or surfing or hiking or being with your, your nephews or whatever. It could be anything in your life, things that bring you joy, that make you feel more peaceful, more grounded, maybe write down some things that, you know, are really <laughs> stressing you out or that are contributing to like the situation that you don't like. Um, and just use that as a time to get some thoughts out and really like get, just get a little bit of space, however much you can to really think through, like, what is a, a satisfying life look like to me? And again, this could literally be like, Maybe you end up keeping your same job, but having more boundaries so that you leave work at work and you can do your passion in the off hours. It could be changing your career. It could be going back to school. You know, it could be anything. It's not all about being a CEO or like starting a tech company necessarily, but like to me, I have found so much joy in my work. Um, but working on this project for 10 years now, I've realized that for me, me personally, uh, who might seem like, wow, I have the perfect situation of like working in a job I'm passionate about and changing the world, whatever. It burned me out, uh, probably starting around four years into the company. And it's just really hard uh, for me, it's been hard for me to just have work as like my thing that brings meaning in life. So it was really great for me when I started to put in boundaries into my work. You know, I don't check email on weekends, you know, usually if, unless I have to, or, you know, turning off at 5 PM, um, and just doing other things, being active physically, like going to coffee with a friend and those things kind of brought back into my life, were able to round out my life rather than just having, okay, I'm successful in one area, but you know, I'm feeling lacking in these other areas of my life. I kind of explain it as, you know, I had really developed certain muscles to found a company and be a CEO for four years or whatever it was, and then be president of the company and lead and communicate and speak and speak on big stages and grow all these amazing muscles. But if you've ever done this in your body, you know that overdeveloping some muscles while others are very weak is really bad for your body. It's not good for your well-being. And so that's what I focused on more in the last couple of years. Um, and now being bringing a child into the world, I'm seven months pregnant with a little boy right now. And so it's just thinking about like, okay, how do all of these things work together? And ultimately my opinion is that your, your holistic well-being will support you being better at your job. will support you performing the best you can and having the most satisfaction. So I think it kind of all works together. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've followed a similar trajectory where I exercised the wrong muscles for a while. <laughs> and now yeah. I'm having to go back and be like, okay, let's let's work on some of those other ones that we neglected. Yeah. Um, and it is a holistic approach. It has to be. It's because it's it's not a it's not a sprint, it's a marathon too. Totally. And you live and learn and each of you listeners will learn what your thresholds are and you know your your priorities, but uh, yeah, hopefully some of this can help you avoid some of the mistakes we made. Yeah. And if you are interested in, you know, getting to spark your passion, um, Emily and Lisa Thee have a great course called spark passion, and we're going to be putting it on the women data platform Woo-hoo. and there will be a discount code for, um, everyone to use to access that course that we will put in the show notes. Um, I had the opportunity to review it and um, it was very, very good. I really, it definitely inspired me a lot and sparked a lot of my passion. So if you're wanting to make that next move in your career, I definitely recommend it. Yes. Thank you so much, Sadie. We're so excited to have it on the women in data platform. And it was really just, you know, speaking of not repeating our mistakes, me and Lisa are both social impact entrepreneurs. We've been through so much of the blood, sweat, and tears that go into uh, founding companies that are in the social impact space. Um, And so we wanted to just offer some, some easy to digest episodes and worksheets that can help you kind of work through if you have a passion and you're like, I'm not sure if this is a side passion, if it's a business, if it's a side hustle, you know, should I be an entrepreneur and entrepreneur? Um, and so we kind of walk you through those beginning stages of, you know, if I was to start a business off of this, what are the first steps? You know, how can I get started in a way that's not intimidating? Uh, because we know how hard it can be when you see the big mountains in front of you, like, oh my gosh, this is insurmountable for me to accomplish my, my dream or my mission how do I get over this? And so we kind of break it down into some little steps that you can take just baby steps where you almost trick yourself into, uh, you know, making that progress forward to kind of figuring out how does your idea express itself in the, in the world. So definitely check it out. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to be on the platform. Yeah, I know it's gonna spark a lot of passion in people's lives. So excited to have people access that. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for being on the show today. I know I'm leaving inspired and just reignited and lots of great key takeaways from work ethic to intuition to knowing your passion. So really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and and talking with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I always love these conversations. And, um, if anyone wants to connect with me, they can check out, I'm on socials basically everywhere at Hey Emily Kennedy. So you can check that out. And then like Sadie mentioned before, if you're a podcast listener, the empower podcast, I get to interview awesome founders and CEOs and world changers like Sadie herself, whose episode will be coming out soon. Um, about all of those things, you know, kind of how can businesses change the world? How does tech intersect with social impact. Uh, So join me over there if you're interested in those types of topics. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely be sure to check out the Empower podcast and connect with Emily. I know each of you will be inspired by having this relationship. So thanks again for being here and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.